I'm Jason Comstock, and welcome to We Happy Few, the podcast that allows veterans and their families to tell their stories. In this episode, we talk with filmmaker Zane Ogwin about his documentary, Here Am I, Send Me. Well, my name is Zane Ogwin. Um, I'm from Utah, born and raised. And uh, I've been a filmmaker or interested in filming since I was in elementary school. I always wanted to do acting and directing. So I did theater all growing up. Um, and uh, I realized that acting wasn't really where I wanted to go as much. And, you know, filmmaking, directing um, was. So, but yeah, I mean, I started out making Star Wars films with my mom's camera in elementary school. Um, and uh, then making other superhero, a lot of Spider-Man, you know, films and stuff like that. Just being silly. And uh, then you know, I went to school for it. In high school, I was in charge of all the you know audiovisual stuff. And then I went to UVU, graduated with a with a degree in film. And, and uh, yeah, and so I started working at a production company, uh, making commercials for local businesses and startups and stuff. And then um, Devin Supertramp, I had a buddy I, I met in school, and he was um, working for Devin Supertramp, and they needed a new guy. And he's like, I know just the one. So he asked me. They had, they had had me try out for a, you know a couple of, come on board for a couple of shoots, and yeah, it worked out. So I've been on with Devin Supertramp for um, three and a half years, almost four years. And, and how many followers does Devin have on YouTube? So on, people get an idea that yeah. So on YouTube, he has over five and a half million um, subscribers, and we are known mostly for kind of like our action. Uh, sports, crazy stuff, you know, slip and sliding out of an airplane, um, slip and sliding off a cliff, you know, just being doing a lot of just weird stuff. But um, and that's what I mean, companies like Subaru or Disney and Warner Brothers, they they hire us to make their kind of like their Internet campaigns because um, like I don't know if you've seen we did a Jurassic World spoof, but we got hired by Universal to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways, but then this came along. Um, there was two groups of veterans that we codenamed, you know, the Gold Star and Freedom. And they were going to do this reenactment jump. Uh, Team Freedom, the the um, the distillery, their whiskey company, the Horse Soldier Whiskey, those guys, they were going to do it separately from this Gold Star mom who wanted to jump. Um, and they somehow got connected. I'm not quite sure on that connection of how they got connected. But then um, Matthew Griffin, who we call Griff, who's the one who speaks a lot in our in our documentary, he had a lot of connections with Google, and but he was actually trying. He's reaching out to producers and other uh, local like movie makers, and they were tra- they were asking for a crazy amount of money. And so Google, which owns YouTube, um, you know, they're asking, "Is there anyone that you guys would recommend?" And they say, "Hey, well, Devin, Super Tramp, these guys, they capture crazy stuff. I mean, we got actually hired on because we knew how to capture jumping out of an airplane." And, uh, so we'll back up just a minute though, but say you got hired on, uh, explain what that means. You got hired on where, like who who wanted to hire you? What were they trying to make? Okay. Yeah. So it was, um, just these, these veterans, Mm -hmm. um, and they just wanted to document it. They, I don't know. So the veterans wanted to do something and they wanted to, they wanted Uh some filmmaker somewhere to document it. Yeah. So the, so the horse soldier guys, Mm -hmm. um, they're from Florida. Most of them live in Florida now. And, um, they wanted to have it documented as well because um, they just wanted to do the parachute, the line jump reenactment mm-hmm. around Canopy. And then Griff, he knew um, Crystal May, who was the one who died on his 14th deployment. And his um, Crystal May's mother reached out to Griff and said, hey, I want to jump too. Um, 
she had zero experience with jumping. Obviously, she couldn't do the round canopy. So um, Matthew called up uh, Zach Carbo, who also knew Chris, um, and said, hey, cause he's, he's an instructor uh, in Washington State. And he um, was like, yeah, we, if we can get a plane, we can do it. And so they pulled on, on like a million strings and got permission to jump out, you know, tandem style over Normandy. And uh, anyways, they just wanted to document it. And I think they just wanted to document the fall, like just to jump. That was it. Mm-hmm. And when they approached us, we wanted to make a story out of it. And so that's how it kind of happened. And Did you know right away it was a story? Like, um, I mean, what did they say to you? Uh, well, it was funny. They just said, yeah, we're going to be doing this. And also, you guys, um, you need to make sure you guys dress up in World War II uniforms, authentic World War II uniforms. So um, anyway, so, so that's what we did. And it was, I mean, there's only on the team, there's me, Devin, Carter, and Bubba at the time. His name was Johnny, but we call him Bubba. So there's just four of us. And uh, anyways, we just went out there. We had, th- we had three cameras. Went out and, where? Where did you guys To Normandy. Okay. Yeah, so we went out to Normandy. And honestly, had you ever been there? No. Okay. Never, and did you know much about uh Um I knew a little bit about as far as like the the history and and the yeah. beaches and stuff like that. I mean, it's popular just because of movies and other things like that. Mm-hmm. Um but my my whole goal cuz when I started, they were asking us like, "Hey, what's the plan? What's the plan? You guys want to do this?" And we're like, "Well, we don't really know what's happening." Mm-hmm. And cuz I don't think they really knew what was happening either. Mm-hmm. Um, which we can talk about a little bit later because the jump almost didn't happen at all. Even after like these guys have been planning for like nine months and it almost got taken away from them, you know, right at the end. But, um, so we, we, uh, so my thing was, it's like, okay, well I was in charge. I got, this was my project. I got put in charge of it. I was directing it. I was going to be doing the interviews. I was going to be doing all that. Um, and so I was like, I started asking questions to people said, Hey, what questions would you want to ask veterans? Um, Mm -hmm. And, and I really wanted to go the route of these veterans were honoring veterans. Um, most veterans I talk to don't like talking about themselves, um, but they will brag on each other all day long. And so just, it was, uh, so I knew I had, we had a story with these veterans honoring veterans. And then with this mom who was just honoring her son, like that's why she wanted to jump out. And, uh, it, so it kind of turned into this, um, how can we, what can we do as civilians to honor veterans? Um, and we can learn by an example of veterans, which is kind of, you know, mm-hmm. interesting. So the only thing that I really had mapped out before we went was I knew how I wanted to capture the jump. Uh, we hired um, the guys who actually filmed it. One of them was a veteran, Larry, who who we interview on there. The other one, um, these guys are Red Bull athletes. They're like the best mm-hmm. parachuters um, mm-hmm. in the world. Yeah. And so they knew how to capture stuff. I mean, they're, they're jumping out, not just GoPros, like huge cameras on top of their heads. Mm-hmm. And um, so... Yes, we hired the best, and so we knew how I knew how I wanted to capture the jump. Um, I knew that it was going to be this montage of, and 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 that's how usually my ideas work as far as filmmaking goes. I just start thinking about something, and then um, ideas just come in, and I just like kind of go with that. So I knew that's how I wanted to capture it. Was when she jumped, we're going to show flashbacks of images of her son um, to really showcase like what these people were jumping for. What I didn't know was all these veterans also had their own reasons for jumping. Like, we just thought it was just Scotty Domey and jumping on of her son. But then we learned that Griff was jumping with his grandpa's flag. And so, so many of the other soldiers were also jumping with their grandpa's flag or their grandpa's dog tags or friends of theirs, um, like medals or Purple Hearts and these things. And they jump and then they take pictures on the field after they jumped it in. 
and they gifted it back to those those people. Um, so it really turned into something super special. But yeah, so that's how kind of all got started. So can you talk a little bit? One of my favorite parts of the documentary. There's a scene where you. It, you guys are out on a tour just looking at some sites yeah. and this elderly man comes out yeah. who was, I think he was 10 years old. Will you tell that story and kind of how that happened? Yeah, so <clears throat> that was amazing. I mean, the whole experience, like when we first got there, first of all, it was super intimidating. Um, there's a joke, so Bubba on our team, he was like, Zane, what do we do? Like we get there and we're, and we're, like, we're wearing these uniforms, we're feeling like posers, you know? <laughs> and we actually have people come up and say, hey, you know, thank you. And we're like, oh, no, 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 we're just wearing costumes, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, but we were asked by these military guys to do it. And because we, we said, hey, we kind of feel uncomfortable. But they're like, no, like, this is great. We, you know, we love it. And so there was this uh, this automatic intimidation that was that was there. Uh, but Bubba on the team, he was like, Zane, what do we do? Because we're sitting there when we first met him. And um, he jokes about now. He tells a story and he's like, you talk to them. That's what I said. I don't really remember that. But I was like, you just talk to them. They're human beings, you know. And... So we had this level of intimidation going, and we're try- I'm trying to build rapport because I'm the one who has to interview them. I have to interrupt them while they're in this experience. Um, anyway, so we're driving, and we have these guides who are taking these these veterans, and these veterans are, I mean, these are the, if you research these guys that we are with, I mean, they're all big deals. Yeah. Um, so they're kind of getting a special experience. We go outside of Normandy in this little, t- in this little village, and... Um, we get to this house and there's all these names carved in this amazing mural carved in this wall and this little old man comes out and and then the, our guide who is this Frenchman um, he introduces this guy and this guy is actually on his um, he's not they're saying he's not doing well health wise and he comes out and we everyone's kind of confused at first and uh, but so we're, I'm seeing these men these people I was intimidated with and all of a sudden they hear this guy's story and they, the, the interpreter is interpreting you know everything and I see these men all of a sudden become looking like they were kind of intimidated or at least in awe. And it was just kind of really fascinating to see that their mm-hmm. kind of reaction. Um, but this old man comes out and this is not known. Like I, I uh, actually was worried that I wasn't going to be able to find information online after I got home about him to get the whole story because the, the interpret interpretation wasn't exactly accurate um, as far as when, when we were there and the stuff that I found out later, but his name was Lucien Hasley. He, um, he was 10 years old on D-Day, and um, he, his brother was sick, and the, obviously the, um, our boys come in and, and uh, around his area, and the, the medic uh, of that squad was, you know, they see this family, and the, and the older brother was sick, and he's like, I don't have the medicine to help him, but I know what he needs, and he left. And then, like, the next day, this this medic comes back with the medicine, saves his brother's life, and then also gives him a warning, says, hey, you guys need to get out of here, you and your entire family. Like, this is not a safe area anymore. And uh, so the the Lucien ex- uh, describes it as when he was 10 years old, he was asked to sleep in his clothes at night by his parents, which never happened. And then, then at night, they went and they left, and their house blew up. Like, it was completely destroyed, and they all would have died. So he um, wanted to remember these these this squad that was that went through his area and so he built this wall that that house that was destroyed and he built the wall on that's on the outside of his house and it has all the names has this amazing mural has all these symbols and representations of the the paratroopers that came down Um, and then he hand carved each individual name um, of the squad but what he couldn't find he couldn't he didn't know the medic's name he couldn't find him and so 
he spent, I mean, as much as his resources were just being this, this Frenchman, you know, in the middle of nowhere, um, he, he just didn't have the resources. Well, um, President Roosevelt's granddaughter hears about this story somehow. And she obviously has the means to figure out stuff that most people can't. So she pulls some strings and she gets the name of this medic. And she calls him up and she's like, I wanna, I'm not just going to give it to you over the phone. I want to hand deliver this. And she goes and she gives this name of, um, I believe his name was Frank Mackey. And that's the name we see. We highlight it in the film. You see it right there. Um, and, uh, and that was the last name he carved into the wall. And uh, it was interesting because... And I was so touched, and this was the theme that I discovered, you know, while I was out there was, you can do something to honor. And this guy didn't do it to get seen, to to be, because no one knows about it. And uh, and and you, the normal people, you if you go online, you can't find it. It's not it's not part of any tour that you go out there and and and, and see when you go if you go to Normandy. But he wanted to do something, just because he wanted to do something. And that was it. He just wanted to pay his respects and honor. Those those people and Scotty Domey, she started crying when she saw this wall and she heard the story, um, because she says her greatest fear is that her son will be forgotten, and that that sacrifice will be for nothing. And then when she sees these names and these people who you know these individuals who are just remembering in the in the, the smallest little ways, I mean this was no this wasn't very small in my opinion it was huge, um, but it meant the world to her and that that affected me and I because and I, I, mostly I just wanted to be a sponge I wanted to just be as aware as possible and see like what is happening here and seeing that was I mean that story is amazing I think you can make a documentary alone on that story um, by itself but. I think this is a good time to thank the sponsors that make this podcast possible if you support us please support them this episode of We Happy Few is sponsored by the law offices of Edward K. Brass for more information, visit edbrasslaw.com. Be sure to check out some of the other podcasts from The Loudmouth Project. We at The Loudmouth Project want to thank Steve Bingham Hawk and the Salt Lake Marathon for supporting the Salt Lake chapter of Team Red, White, and Blue by allowing them to run the marathon course as a relay. Instead of handing off a baton from runner to runner, they pass a flag and they don't leave anyone behind. They collect runners as they navigate the course. And when a team of about 40 runners finally crosses the finish line, it's something special to see. We got the word that you guys were within range. And then all of a sudden, I see this massive blob of red. So Christy, our volunteer director, and Jen, our marketing director, we all run up there to come see them. And it was incredible. I mean, I was looking at everybody. Carter's crying. Jen's crying. <laughs> Everybody's crying. And uh, and then what was great is the entire event focused back on the finish line at that point. Steve said it was a mission of Team Red, White, and Blue which is to enrich the lives of veterans through physical, social, and service opportunities that moved him to offer the team a one-of-a-kind opportunity. I knew we could trust you, and then I knew that whatever you would touch, you, you would have. So that was a big part of it. But also, I, mean, I love the mission of Team RWB. I wish everybody had a Team RWB, and they can <laughs> if they yeah. join. Because, uh, you know, we all need to be banding together in, in this world that is continually divisive and and rooted in, in digital, which is disconnecting us all. The Salt Lake Marathon is the largest team event Team Red, White, and Blue offers its members. It's a chance for them to run for those who've served and to honor those lost in service to this country. So to Steve, Salt Lake Marathon, and to all of our veterans, thank you.
What, what's your relationship to military before you do this? Yeah, so I, um, I have... I have like a great uncle. He was buried in the Philippines, and you know, in the U.S. cemetery over there. I have um, my uncle, my dad's brother. Um, he's active right now. He's, um, I believe, a lieutenant colonel. Um, but he did West Point, um, became a ranger, special forces. Um, so, so he's still very active, and I'm, I'm pretty close with him. I, I love him dearly, and that. But so I've always had respect for military. Um, but I, I mean, my life changed going to Normandy and doing this documentary it I mean I, it, I, I consider myself more of a patriot now than I ever was in my life and um, like, I always had respect but that was about it and now it's like it's such a big part of who I am and I, I and I just don't ever want to lose that so that's like as far as like my, my experience with military that's about it so I was just gonna say let's get into the jump you said the jump almost didn't happen yeah yeah, yeah. please yeah so um, I mean, it's, it, it, the, the, the stories hurt. So the whole time, um, when we split up the teams, we had four of us there. So I sent two guys to go on the planes. And then me and Devin, um, who was the main cinematographer, we stayed down below on the field. Um, and, and the whole thing is, too, is that we service was bad out there. And we are trying to communicate with the other team, like, hey, let us know when they go. And, um, but already we're hearing, we're hearing rumor that's going to not happen because of weather. There's major storm clouds going overhead, and so there was. Um, I mean, I'm very. And for uh, people who've never been to Normandy, I've been there, but yeah. describe what it looks like. like I mean, yeah. it's just farmlands. Yeah. it's just like. And it's windy. Yeah, and, super windy, and yeah. it's rainy on and off, like. And constantly. you can still see the the, the, the thing. Yeah, the the metal things that were supposed to. Yeah, the, yes. the, the German yeah. Um, yeah. embankments are things that they put in to try to stop. To stop the uh, yes. landing. Yes. Which you is see, why they came from so far out. Yes, yeah. exactly. You see, I mean, all that stuff's still there, all those structures, mm-hmm. like some of the... And then there's people swimming and yeah. getting... <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like... Yeah, it's... It's a, a weird... It's a weird place. Yeah. Um, it, totally. And, and, but it was um, like, if you love history at all, you go there, man, you just, you dive right into it. And... I mean, the feeling in Normandy, too, which is interesting. I actually interviewed I interviewed Larry. He, he, he made the final cut, but the, the other jumper, his name was Andy, the parachuter, who was just an athlete, he was so affected by it, too. And he had no idea. He's like, I'm going to come. I'm going to film a jump. It's business as usual. But he was like, I was watching him get emotional. You know, we all, everyone was just trying to emotion. The emotion is just so high there. Also, if you've been to France at all, um, you will quickly realize that French people don't really like Americans. But if you go to Normandy... They love Americans. Yeah. And we so went that, in, we went in a little town called Bayou and they uh-huh. had signs up still that said, uh, welcome to our rescuers, you know. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, thank it's you. Insane. Welcome Americans. Yeah. yeah, American flags flying yeah. everywhere. You know, yeah. three sixty five, but it's just like holy cow. So that's that's the area of Normandy. Um and the roads, I mean, super narrow roads. And uh I mean everything Fun was driving, right? Yes. <laughs> and, and 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 actually I, I was crazy too to learn like how far away the beaches were from each other mm-hmm. and all that I mean the driving was like insane, you know, these were it's like hours away from each other. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um and everything looks the same. You know, and, and that's what you learn too, like everyone's lost. They talk about, you know, you the soldiers who who the paratroopers and they get down there and they're like, Hey, where are we at? And like, Well, we know we're in France. You know, it's like that's that's like about it. So they they use the steeples of the churches, you know what I mean? So you see those big churches everywhere, and that's how they navigated because um, they, they start recognizing the steeples. Um, but anyway, so we and Devin are in the field, we and we don't even know if this is the exact place of where. So we're like, and this and the grass is like up to our waist, and it's just hard walking through it. The grass is just all wet. So we're sitting there for 
hours just soaked in this grass, like waiting. It's windy. It's cold. And we're just both praying our guts out. And we're praying not just for our own success, but really for these men. Because that, that actually what quickly turned to was, man, this story was is just their story. And, I, and we wanted to make something for these people and, uh, and, and, and do it in a, in a manner that was pleasing to them. So it was constant, constant uh, worry, constant prayers. But so these guys... I mean, you kind of get a little glimpse of it. They talk a little about Scott Neal talks about their experience was a little different from Scotty Domain and Griff's and Zach, the, the Gold Star mom, that their experience was a little little different because they would, um, uh, did two separate times of the jump. Um, but the horse, horse soldiers were the first guys out there. They commemorated the whole thing. And uh, But, yeah, so the the weather was just not cooperating at <laughs> all. And it was kind of like... I mean, they're watching, they're seeing all these, these pilots and all the, you know, the air, people in, in charge of everything um, saying this is not going to happen, you know. And uh, even though they're on the airplane, everything's ready to go, but it, w- it was just not going to happen because of weather. Well, they, obviously, they, didn't, they did end up going. Uh, but what you don't know is that after they did the jump, they were successful. They all landed in the field. But then the next people who jumped, they were landing on buildings because of the wind, and they were landing in the streets and causing major issues now with the authorities in that area. And getting a lot of people upset, and uh, people people getting stuck in trees. It was like it kind of turned into this little bit of a of a nightmare. And our gold star mom hasn't gone. Um, there was also a World War II paratrooper that jumped. We, you see a glimpse of him, um, mm-hmm. and uh, but he, so he was scheduled to be um, the Griff. He was like just paying attention to everything because he's hearing all this commotion, and they were saying um, he's going to. They're they're moving the gold this this World War II vet forward, and they're putting Scotty in their plane behind them, and they're like, well, we're not gonna be able to jump because also something else that the, the air the airfield was gonna get shut down because of all the like President Trump was coming. I mean, it was like all the all the you know these leaders were coming, and so there was a security issues. Um, also, the planes needed to head straight to to London, I believe there was England right after, um, so. So they were saying, like, our camera guys wouldn't be able to get dropped off. Like, the planes wouldn't have time to land down to drop those guys off. So they would have to go to London and then take a train back. You know what I mean? So it was like, oh, my gosh, we can't do that. You know, it was like a nightmare. So Griff's, like, last-minute decision, he's like, we're going to follow this this um, veteran, this World War II paratrooper, and we're going to follow him and just get on his plane. Like, we're just going to do it. And uh, they didn't really get permission. They just jumped in. They knew that they had extra room. So they all just piled in there. And it was a good thing they did. But even those guys, even at the time, they were like, we can't get up to the right altitude. There are still some issues. Our camera guy almost got completely left. Um, and uh, Griff literally reached down and threw him into the plane to, to get him into it. And um, so there was just so many little things that happened. But, yeah, this, this jump almost got completely taken away from these guys who had planned months and months and spent so much money, you know, getting retrained and um, to do this. And uh, but yeah, it all I think by the grace of God worked out really well. So what was it like for you to sit down and start watching the interviews and start watching and piecing this together? So emotional. Um, it was. I mean, the whole trip was me just trying to build rapport, which I learned is what rangers do. You know, is just go out and they just build rapport with you know people. And um, so I, was, I found myself really relating to that and with these guys. But um, it was so. Uh, humbling um i wanted to ask direct questions but i wanted to ask respectful questions so i kind of had to juggle that a little bit but um it it was interesting because my relationship with these with these men was 
you know, we would do these interviews and, but we all connected really well and we became friends. And then when the cameras weren't rolling, when microphones weren't there, they'd come up to me and tell me other stories. And, and some of them I didn't want to hear. Now, I don't think anyone wants to hear, but they, he, you know, they felt like they, that I was a listener at that point. So they were telling me things. Um, it was really cool too, because a lot of them would say that talking to me that all of a sudden they were remembering things that they completely forgot that they had went through and they were grateful for it. Um, um, like just like really good memories during their service and things like that, which was really cool to be a part of. Um, so uh, a lot of people don't know, but the most of the time when you see the soldier that we have um, in this film, like with the standing and looking at the parachute, that's me. Um, and, um, and if you could see my face, I mean, it was just heavy emotions the whole time. And, uh, but yeah, it was, it was incredibly humbling, incredibly life changing. Um, I mean, just because everyone was dressed up in World War II stuff, we're seeing real authentic planes where we're being surrounded by these, you know, World War II jeeps and World War II motorcycles and, you know, all these reenactors. And it was, um, but when you step on that ground, when you get in those areas, I mean, you, I remember we all turned to each other at one point and we were just like, did you just feel that? You know, like we just walked in on sacred ground, you know, it was, it was so palpable. Um, and then on top of now hearing uh, what I call sacred stories or sacred experiences from these guys, um, it was very, uh, every day was very exhausting. Um, cause I, I mean, we were worried about capturing footage. I mean, we had, we, we ended up with, uh, I believe eight to nine hours of B-roll and then six hours of interviews. I mean, cut it down to a 40 minute a 40 minute documentary 40 minute documentary yeah what was the uh will you describe the the poppies yeah so the poppy field was actually like an accident um we were driving by point de ho and and we see this poppy field and we're like oh my gosh you know and uh so griff and zach they get out they they walk over into this area and they start walking through it and um we get our drone we're getting our drone set up and the uh, we're like, we need to get these shots, but it actually started raining. You can actually feel it closely. You can see that it's raining mm -hmm. at that time. And raining with a drone is just not good. I mean, it's, you're going to, it's just so, so many issues um, with the wind, with the rain, with it getting on the, the water on the camera and the lens. Um, but that was kind of a, a happy accident. It's interesting because the documentary, we, we really started realizing that the name of it was going to be Here Am I Send Me. Um, but the other name that we were going to use um, was Scott Neal, a quote from Scott Neal, and he says, we were here on a day of destiny because we were meant to be here. And that's really kind of what it felt like was like it was all these happy accidents, but it was like we realized it was kind of forming this story. Um, and uh, when we saw this this poppy field, you know, we knew we had to capture it that way. Um, and it wasn't really until after we started filming a, a bunch of the different shots that I was like, there's going to be words. This is going to be, you know, Flanders Fields. And... Uh, um, and I was trying to explain it to the to the rest of the team like this is the way it's going to look, you know what I mean? And 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 of course when you try to explain it, you can only do so much. And so we sent it off to a v our VFX guy, and I was like, hey, this is what I want. He sent off three different kind of versions of how the text looked, and um, but it was like he hit it, he hit the nail on the head. He knew exactly how I was describing it, and it just turned out to be a, a lot of people's favorite part of mm -hmm. the of the mm -hmm. film um, was that part. And actually interesting too, um, when I was piecing it together you know doing some of the rough cuts I recorded myself um, saying the poem I just did it on my iPhone um, just to get a placeholder in there um, but I was already kind of in an emotional state when I was you know watching this thing and then recording it 
And uh, then I re-recorded it on a better mic and a better setup. And but we ended up um, using my original iPhone <laughs> iPhone mic quality for that. But you know, we had our post audio guy fix that up yeah. and make it work. Well, because you had the emotion of the yeah. the real the authenticity. It was it guess. was like the more yeah the more authentic version of me reciting it. So you say it was life changing. Like, what way has it changed um, you as a filmmaker or as a human being? Um, yeah, both. All um, like I said, I I. Um, Patriot would never be how I describe myself, but it's really kind of turned me into more of one. Um, the whole idea, too, of me going to get a flag, that really was like, I need to go and get a flag for my house, you know? And um, how I, when you see veterans and you see these, you know, these guys wearing, you know, their hats, these veterans wearing their hats, or um, knowing it's like just on a different level of respect and, and tenderheartedness for me, um, and that thank you for your service isn't always what they want to hear, uh, which is what well, you know I found very interesting. Um, and also too, I, I had no idea that what this documentary turned into, how the how what it actually turned into. I, um, I the people who I made it for, um, and I and I don't mean to be too religious, but I'm mean, gonna spend a lot of time on my knees and and cutting that documentary together because I wanted to make something that if Crystal may could see me making something and being and, and having his mom here and then and also these grandparents these of the greatest generation you know I was like man uh, I want to make something that's for them and I, I know that this this type of documentary isn't like what everyone's like searching for and looking for when they watch it's not and it's kind of interesting because it's not a historical documentary I, and I state that right away I said this is not a history lesson you know there's um, some amazing documentaries out there if you want to watch stuff about Normandy and D-Day and and those in World War Two, um, and this really was a a keepsake for because and it, this is kind of funny. Everywhere I go, I usually take a rock with me. Mm-hmm. I find a rock of an area if I go somewhere on a trip, and I and I bring back a rock as a keepsake. And it's more it's more um, of a souvenir for me than than going to a souvenir gift shop because I don't, I don't know why. I mean, it's a rock, I, but that's kind of what I realized. Like this is this is a rock. This is a keepsake. This documentary. Um, but I wanted to, just like that sand that Zach gave to, you know, his loved ones, I wanted this to be the sand I give to mm-hmm. back to these people. Um, and what was really cool is that we we premiered this documentary in Seattle um, at Amazon headquarters. Um, so we did that to uh, active some active military uh, personnel that were there. It was a small group. And then on Veterans Day, we premiered it in a brewery in, uh, out just right outside of Seattle. Um, and Chris's wife was there. Uh, and this is the first time since he died that he that she's attended anything um that's about him and chris's best friends were there and 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 other people who served with him and, and then a bunch of other veterans and uh that's who I made it for and it was it was um another humbling experience to see them so touched and so grateful for it and so anything else that's turned into and all the other people that that it's affected is just a was kind of like a bonus you know it was like i'm just making this specifically for them and that's kind of what it turned into when you make something like this do you have a, a thought in mind that you want the viewers to to take away or respond to or do something yes absolutely so what was it for this um this one was um to do one thing and i um one of my favorite stories is i believe it's about gandhi and when a woman comes and tells Gandhi, she has her son. She's like, tell Gandhi, please tell my son to stop eating so much sugar. He's eating too much sugar. Um, and I don't know if this is Gandhi, but this is who I, I remember reading this story. And, 
And Gandhi says, I'll come back in a month. And she comes back and brings her boy. And Gandhi gets on his knees and says, hey, you know, you need to stop eating so much sugar. And that's all he said. And she's like, why did you wait a month to tell my son to stop eating sugar? He's like, well, because I was eating sugar a month ago. And he's like, I, I didn't have that that moral authority to tell him to stop eating sugar. And uh, for me, um, I wanted to do something as well. So you see me have the flag, you know, um, and uh, but then I, I challenge. I, I, I end it with just doing one thing. And, and it might seem insignificant. No one will probably ever know about it. But I want you to do one thing because I feel like it, that's more changing to you. And I don't know. It, it creates something, I feel like, in the world if you have that attitude, um, which is that Edward Everett, you know, hell quote that I put in there, that I am only one, but I am one. And uh, and that's what I really wanted people to walk away with. I wanted, and I really also wanted the, the next generations to know, to learn and see. Because like, it's like this weird thing that you, you almost feel ashamed to be an American. I feel like that's the stigma now. It's like you can't you can't be a patriot if you if you post anything online. You know what I mean? If you do it, it's like you're. It has a weird feeling to it, and and I know the younger generation feels that way because that's kind of what I talked about. You know, I, and I and I asked people, and so having my son there, and as another part was, I mean, I, I wanted to show like I'm going to teach my son these things, and and I hope you do too. So that's kind of what I, that's really what I wanted people to walk away with when I was piecing the story together. Join us again for the next episode of We Happy Few. If you have comments about the show, please contact us by email at tips at loudmouthproject.com or on Twitter at loudmouthjason. Check out our website at loudmouthproject.com and navigate to the We Happy Few page. You can also find and subscribe to free episodes of our podcast on Google Podcast, iTunes, and other places where you find interesting shows. Be sure to review our show as well. We love to get your feedback, and it helps grow our audience. I'm Jason Comstock, and until next time, keep listening, keep learning, and stay engaged. We Happy Few is a production of the Loudmouth Project.